0: welcome once again to the Perimeter Church podcast. Debates over the concept of free will are not limited to Christian circles. Even those outside religion ask if we are more than a sum of chemistry, physics, and chaos theory. Lead teacher Randy Pope continues the series, Romans 8, Trusting in God's Sovereignty the fourth part of this message entitled All Things, which covers Romans chapter 8, verses 28 to 30. For more information and to watch or hear other messages, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. All right, well, welcome. I'd like to,
1: first of all, welcome those that are new. Uh, I just met a new family as I walked in uh, this morning, and uh, we're always happy to have new people here. Uh, we're in a, uh, a fairly unique series in the book of Romans, and uh, you should have an, an insert outline that uh, I'm encouraging everybody to kind of hang on to and look at as we walk through this, uh, this series in Romans. Romans chapter 8. There's a sense in which you new folks that are stepping in are, are coming into some rip currents of turbulent theological waters And it's my job to make it a safe journey through those waters, because when you get to the other end, you're going to find delight like you cannot imagine. I'll explain that more later. But this is a series based on two realities, coming from Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. The two realities, number one, God's perfect plan, and that's verse 28 that we'll look at to begin with. So let's read Math, uh, just listen as I read uh, Romans 8:28. this is what I like to think of our text as the what later we'll see the how but here's the what and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose now believer and seeker alike how good would life be if we knew absolutely for sure and believed it with deep confidence that we really believed that's true, that everything works together for good in our lives. Many a Christian would say, I love the verse. I don't know that I embrace that in my trust level on a daily basis in my Christian faith, but I love that idea. One of the reasons that we find it difficult to believe that this could actually be the case is because we, we buck against the verses that follow that explain how this can be reality. And they read like this, 29 and 30. God's infallible process. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, if you take your insert, you notice at the very top, four secrets to a satisfying life. It sounds like this is a real felt need and we're just talking about uh, what we want to hear and that kind of thing. Uh, It really is not that kind of series, but it truly is. They really are the secrets to a satisfying life. Number three is where we're resting through this entire series, trusting or trusting in God's sovereignty. Now this is uh, actually, it says on our outline that this is part five. That's a printing mistake. It should be part four, if you're following that. But I want to walk through the outline with you once again. By doing this repeatedly, I think you began to get a framework for understanding what is called the doctrines of grace. So here it is. First of all, three presuppositions. It says there that fully embracing the fact that all things work together for good presupposes these things. Number one, that God is sovereign. We've checked that one. God has a perfect plan. We've done that one. And that God engineers an infallible process to assure his perfect plan. And that we only introduce and in holding that to a few minutes later. That uh, process is called the golden chain of salvation in theological terminology. The golden chain, which has five links that we'll look at in a few minutes, five links. So you've got these presuppositions. Do you believe God has a plan and that he's sovereign? Do you believe that there is a process by which he can make that plan actually come to reality? Then number two, we come to the foundations. There are three foundations. And and really, to understand these foundations from God's Word is the only way to be able to comprehend and understand these chain links, as we're going to call them, the five chain links. The first, God's sovereignty. And that's what we have just finished walking through God's sovereignty last week. Let me just suggest before we go on in the outline... Let me suggest where we've been so in case you're coming in and you'd like to say, well, what have you talked about? And you can go back and listen to the podcast and catch up with where we are if you're interested. Here are the questions we've dealt with about God's sovereignty. Did God foreordain sin? And if he did foreordain sin, did that ha- or if he, he didn't, did it happen against his will? And so we address that question first of all. Number two question. If he did foreordain sin, does that not make God responsible for man's sin? Number three, isn't it a bit unfair that God didn't assure the salvation of all people? And the next question was this, well, we know he didn't assure the salvation of all people or everybody would be saved. Therefore, why didn't God save all people? In fact, that led us into another question. That was, why did he even let sin into the world to begin with? The outcome of that is that people have perished for eternity. And now what about this question? Why in the world did God even create a Satan to begin with? As we know the devil, why, why would he exist? Why would God ever allow that? Those are the questions that we've already worked through. So if you're interested in kind of understanding all of that. Is, is really a way to understand the sovereignty of God. Now, we'll constantly be touching on the sovereignty of God, but I want to say this as we're leaving that subject as a whole. I would say to the Christian, and even to the seeker in reality, I understand the seeker, but particularly the Christian, I would say to us, uh, be careful in challenging the sovereignty of God. Be careful and say, I don't think God, as it says in Ephesians 1.11, uh, that he really works all things after the counsel of his will. I mean, some things, yes, most things, maybe. But don't tell me he works all things. You talking about that tragic death that took place with the little children a few weeks ago, here, there, and yonder? What about this? What about that accident on 85 yesterday? What about, what about, are you telling me that God he really works all things after the counsel of his will? Oh, I don't, even as a Christian, I don't think that would be the case. It doesn't make sense to me. I'd say be very careful because then we've got to ask the question well, where do we see God's hand? Was God's hand in the choice of King David that we love and adore in the Psalms? What about Nebuchadnezzar? Was God's hand involved, if you know the story of Nebuchadnezzar, and how God would choose to use a man like that in a way that he did to do the things that he did? Or what about the, what about the story of Esther, if you know that story? Did God orchestrate the plan of her life and weave it into redemptive history the way he did? Was that really the planning of God with all the things that happened in that story? What about Pharaoh and the Egyptians and and even the hardening of his heart, as it says in Scripture? And we're going to study that next week, the next uh, message. But I'm telling you, We begin to have to ask those questions, but here's the real question we have to ask ourselves. Is God involved in every detail of my life where, as the text says, he works all things after the counsel of his will in your life and in my life? Or is it, well, it's some things, some of the time in my life. Well, which of those things And are we left to wonder which ones he is and which ones he isn't? Or do we just exclude the things we don't like in life and assume that he has no charge over that and the things that happen good in our life? I tell you this, it leaves us in a very, very precarious position. It's one thing to say, I just can't buy the full sovereignty of God who works all things after the counsel of his will. I, it's one thing to say, I just find that hard to believe. But what we have to do is look at the alternative and say, What do you think about that? You see, it gets down to this the question I asked myself the other day, thinking about a problem that I was facing. I had to ask myself this Do I trust in my knowledge? Do I trust in my wisdom? Do I trust in what I think would be good? Or would I trust in what God's knowledge and his wisdom and his goodness would say? you really left have to make a choice. I'm going to vote for God's sovereignty. And I think as you see his sovereignty become bigger in your life, you're going to see that something good happens in your life. Now, having said that, the... The second, the, uh, the second thing that we're going to be looking at uh, goes to the fall. and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, to the uh, uh, man's will. And we're going to look at man's will today. Uh, we're going to then, the next week we come back, we're going to look at the fall. And then we're going to come to number three, the five chain links. And so I want to just mention what they are, so as I mention them, you'll understand. These are what we read in verses 29 and 30. The five chain links that God foreknows us, that he predestines us, that he calls us, and then he justifies, and then he glorifies us when he comes back. Now, those are the five things that we're gonna be addressing. This series has to take us into those five chain links, but I will assure you, I will assure you that these are challenging if we do not have the foundations the foundations of God's sovereignty and now we look at this thing called free will all right so let's jump into free will for a few minutes Now I don't know many of you are here have no idea the background of this church and who we are in our roots we are a Presbyterian church People here Presbyterian. They think a lot of things, a lot of wrong things, a lot of right things. One thing they do think about Presbyterians, if they have any history or knowledge, they think about predestination. So, how many times I've talked to people? Well, what's your, where your church is about? What are you? What kind of church are you? Well, we're a Presbyterian church, part of the Presbyterian Church of America (PCA), but we're a Presbyterian church. Oh. oh, oh. Oh, you're those guys, you believe in predestination, don't you? And I say, well, we do believe in predestination. And then I hear this, well, I don't agree with predestination. See, I believe in free will. That's what I believe in. Now, when I hear that, I realize that they do not have a very comprehensive, broad understanding of the truths of God's sovereignty and free will. And so I know that if I jump in and say, well, let me explain foreknowledge and let me go into predestination and calling, and then you can understand justification and certainly glorification. That would never work. It'd be like me teaching a series, starting it two messages from now and say, let's jump into this idea of foreknowledge. It would not, it would not go. So you know what I do with them? I say, well, rather than me tell you what I believe, can I tell you two things that I don't believe? Sure. Say, number one, I don't believe in fatalism, in case you think that's what I believe. You know, fatalism is very atheistic. I would certainly never believe in fatalism. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen. No, I don't believe that. And then I say, number two, you need to know this that I do not believe in any way that man's free will is ever violated in any form or fashion. Or to put it this way, I don't believe there'll ever be a time that anyone would stand before God and say, God, you know that I wanted you, and I truly desired you, and I would have chosen you, except I was not predestined. And therefore, I I never really was able to come to you. That will never, never, never happen. Now, when I say those two things to someone questioning the beliefs of predestination, then I hear something like this. Well, I don't know what you believe, but I probably would agree with you with what you believe about predestination. And I say, no, you wouldn't. No, wouldn't believe what I believe. Because when we get into the teaching of foreknowledge and predestination and so forth, Outside the basis and foundation that you're getting through these weeks. You would be going, no, no, no. But I make a prediction. Most of you are going to be saying, oh, oh, oh. Wow. And that's a lot because of what we're teaching here about free will. We're going to have to answer two questions, and the answers to these questions are much fed by R.C. Sproul, the late uh, wonderful theologian, one of the greatest theologians of his generation in his book, Chosen by God. And it's a great resource if any of you would like to go in and read and study much further on this subject matter. But here's the first of two questions. Number one, can God be sovereign over man and man still have a free will? Well, it's not a contradiction for those two. They're not opposites. Contradiction are when you have two opposites that are posed together to be both true when they're opposite of one another oh, this is a black color. No, this is a white color. No, it's either one or the other. It's not black, oh, and it's white. That's a contradiction. But as we said several weeks ago, there are what we call mystery and paradox. Mystery is something that just cannot be understood. We know is happening, we know it exists, it is, but we don't know how it happens, and then there's paradox. Something that appears to be contradictory but it cannot be proven to be contradictory. In fact, it can be proven that it's not contradictory. and That's just called a paradox. We live with many paradoxes uh, in our lives experience. We touched on that a few weeks ago. Reminds me of a math problem that I was faced with on an exam. We had studied it before and, and uh, I was a math major in college and and uh, this happened to be a graduate-level course. And when you get in graduate-level courses, you're doing proofs. You're through with numbers as we know them. You're into proofs for the most part. And I thought, this is the biggest waste of time. You'd spend weeks proving that zero times one is zero. And I just say, look, I accept it already. You know, I will, I will tell you the answer. Just please don't tell me how we get there. Well, they had a, a proof that we had to, to uh, deal with, and it was this. We had to prove that two parallel lines... Running to infinity, remain parallel through infinity. Now, it takes a lot of pages to prove that. But you know what? I just kind of accept that. That makes sense to me. However, it has a corollary. If you know math, you have corollaries. It had a corollary that went with it, and that went on to say, and as they remain parallel through infinity, they intersect while remaining parallel. That makes sense to any of you? (laughs) Now somebody, I might even question myself, do I really remember doing that or did I make that? No, I I know it happened, but I have had it affirmed by, I know one, I was teaching a a membership class and I was sharing that illustration in the membership class and and, uh, a professor from uh, Georgia Tech it came up and said, I'm a professor of math and so forth and so on. And said, you're exactly right. That is true. And I said, well, yeah. But we can't understand it. So do you know what I did, by the way, when that was given that on the test? I mean, it, it just, I just said the, the first part, I said agreed and so forth. And then the last part, I said, you know, I just don't think that's possible. So I'm going to say it's not true. You think I did that? No, I didn't do that. I'd have gotten an F. <laughs> so you know what I did? I went through the proof that made no sense to me, but I memorized it. And I could give the answer, and I got an A. Do you know in a similar way, I've learned that in my faith. Young people, when you see something in God's Word that doesn't make sense, maybe you don't even like it. Don't say it's wrong. I can't believe it. Because you're going to fail and it's going to hurt. But when you embrace it and say, I'm going to trust a higher authority, their math minds way beyond mine that they comprehend this. And when it comes to the Bible, there's a God way, way, way beyond me. He comprehends it. And that's where we trust. So I want you to follow me. I'm going to conclude the answer to this question. And I want you to understand why this question becomes so hard for us. Think of it this way. Sovereign God and free man can coexist. What cannot coexist is sovereign God and autonomous man. Now auto, self, nomus, law, self-law, autonomous. So now I'm gonna say it again. You take a sovereign God, who is truly autonomous. Uh, He is the one absolute. Man is not absolute. We're not autonomous. And we often are thinking, when we think of freedom, we're thinking of free will. We're not thinking free will. We're thinking autonomous will. We're thinking that we are as God would. No, that cannot coexist. If we were autonomous man, an autonomous God, that was not going to coexist. But you can have an autonomous God and a free man or free woman. So is God free? Yes. He is absolutely free. He's autonomous. Is man free? Yes, but not absolutely free. So, God is free and I'm free, but He's freer than me. I like the way R.C. Sproul put it. I, I'd never heard this before. I was, many of you remember Chuck McDowell that sang a few weeks ago, was battling cancer, and I was with him and do be praying for him, but a great battle with cancer right now. But... But uh, I, I was visiting with him. He's my pastor, by the way. Uh, in our church, uh, everybody, even on staff members, you can have a pastor. Uh, it will be one of our elders that, that pastors you. And, and he has just pastored me wonderfully for years and just a far better pastor to me than I'll ever be to him. And so I was visiting with him and his situation now. And, and I, uh, I, I, he said, tell me, what are you preaching on? I'm not going to be able to make it to church, but... Uh, I'm going to stream, but, I, but I, I, what are you preaching this week about? What's the subject matter with Romans 8? And I said, oh, it's, uh, it's about free will. And then he said this. He said, you know, I heard I R.C. Heard Sproul say one day, and in my memory, not in his book, I'd never heard this. And he said, it's, it's like that little boy that lives in the house, an eight-year-old eight boy. He's not a slave. He's a free kid while he's in the home. But if he says, I'm leaving and I'm going to a party late at night, he's not free to do that. There is some reality where there's a difference between freedom, and that's the way we have to think. We are free, and let me help you understand that freedom as we move to the next question. So here's the next question. Don't all people have the free will to choose or reject Jesus? And the answer is yes we do have the free will to accept or reject Jesus. Now, let me give you a common definition. This is a common definition of free will. Very simple. The ability to make a choice without prejudice, inclination, or disposition. Now, that's really not a good definition because it's inadequate because it assumes that decisions are made in a posture of neutrality. It carries the idea that Man's choice are without inclination, without any prejudice, or the decisions are being made that are actually spontaneous. That never happens. So I'll make it simple. Somebody says to me, they say, you know what, I don't agree with you because I make decisions against my will all the time. And you say all your decisions are based on your will, if you have free will. That's not true. I said, give me an illustration. Well, I'll tell you one right now. I turned down dessert. I turn down dessert a lot of time. I desire that dessert so badly, but I say no to it. Nobody's coercing me, so I choose against my desire. I say, no, you didn't. You just have a higher desire. Your desire is to lose weight or to stay healthy or whatever it may be. That's your great desire. You did choose according to your desire. So, the reality is, unless you're being coerced, we do everything according to our utmost desire. Thus, all free choices, hear this, all free choices are determined by desire. Now, this loop is about to be connected right now. And it's through two great saints of old. One, Jonathan Edwards, if you go to our chapel, you'll see in the top little kite of the left, as you walk in, stained glass window, you'll see, you'll see the, uh, uh, just the outline of a man's head there. That's, that's Jonathan Edwards. There's a reason we put him there. I can go to a conference anywhere I go and have a group of pastors, large group of pastors, and I'll say, let me ask you, pastors, you're from all different backgrounds, theological and otherwise, you, you tell me, what do I hear? What is, who's the greatest pastor in the history of America? You know what I hear? Jonathan Edwards. I mean, he ministered in the early 1700s, still considered the greatest of all. You know why? Because not only did he have such a passionate heart for the things of God, Worship and evangelism and all that. But he had a deep, rich, theological perspective that people had to sit and go, wow. You understand this, don't you? This is the way he describes. He makes a distinction between, first, natural ability. Natural ability would be the ability all humans have to make the choice they desire. Versus moral ability. The ability to choose Jesus. Now, that we can say was lost, and I put up there, lost at the fall. As I rethought that, it's probably not, you can lose something and we feel sorry for someone. Oh, that's so sad, they lost it. They didn't mean to, but they lost it. We didn't really lose it, we gave it away. And that's what we learned when we study the fall next. But that was lost. Moral ability was lost. Now, it was regained, hear this, by Christians. Every Christian regains moral ability. Once salvation has happened in a person's heart and life, when that heart has been transformed for the first time, now we can do the right things coupled with right motives. That's called moral ability. Only the Christian can do that. Now... The second person is Augustine. Augustine lived in the 300 A.D.s. Wow. Exactly teaching the same thing. In fact, you can tell by what I'm about to quote from him that Jonathan Edwards, he learned from Augustine. This is the great theology, the thread that's run throughout the history of the church with the the greats of old. Here's how Augustine puts it. Do we have that? Maybe we don't. I'll just read it. Fallen man has a free will but lacks moral ability. He has a free will but he lacks moral ability. I want you guys to remember that for the rest of your life. I want you to walk through life saying, you know what? I have a free will. It's never violated by God. God would never coerce me to do anything against my will. Never. But I have lost moral ability until salvation. So the big aha, I think, is simply this. Left to our own will, man will never, never choose Christ because he'll never desire Christ. That's the turning point on what you'll believe about predestination or foreknowledge or any of the things, choosing. That's the only way you'll ever understand many, 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 many verses of Scripture that you're going to come across. You're going to have to realize that, oh, there's the truth. Left to man's own desire, that's his will. He will never desire a ruler over his life. He or she will desire to rule his or her own life. Will never do it unless the grace of God touches that heart. And makes it alive That's what we'll be looking at It's going to help us explain Romans chapter 3, 9 through 12 Let me read it in light of what we said What then? Are we, the Israelites, the Jewish people Better than they, the Gentiles? Not at all For we have already charged That both Jews and Greeks Are all under sin We lost our moral ability As it is written, there's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. Not even the good of receiving Jesus. There's not even one, meaning not on their own. It's not gonna happen. Because what you've studied in Romans 1 through 3 is that we are dead in our trespasses and our sins. So next week is our uh, annual camp Sunday as we as we love to have our campers are gonna be here. And as many of you know, it's a special week here in the life of our church. And we're gonna have children, you know, from all through our camp, all here, you know, that are part of our worship service. It's a, a very uh, wonderful, wonderful occasion, but it's not a good occasion to teach predestination. So... <laughs> There will be a pause for next week, I will assure you. But I I want you to know this. As of the next message, when we complete the next message, I like to think of it like this. I actually wrote this, drew it on a paper, not planning to use it. But I actually, just while I was preparing the message, I, I put a little mountaintop with an arrow pointing up and then an arrow pointing down. And after next message, we have hit the top of the mountain. And now we go into the hardest subject matters you can ever imagine, but we go down because we have now had the presuppositions and the foundations to now for the first time say, oh, now I can maybe see what this is. Will I fully comprehend it, understand it, make sense to me? No, I mean, we're talking the things of God. But I'll tell you what, you'll see why this is true in Scripture, and you can understand why it would be at least five questions we're going to look at and that next time we talk about the fall if lost man if man lost his I'm sorry if man lost his ability to choose Christ because of Adam's sin how can all people be held responsible for what Adam did that is a big question as is number two is it fair to pay the consequences for the sin of a representative that we didn't choose you and I didn't say hey Adam represent me would you But because of his sin, we all die. Is that fair? When I'm meeting with a a seeker trying to figure out the faith and I'm, I'm helping him investigate the faith, I say, you know, if I'm you, here's the question I would ask me that I think is the most important question and the challenge to the Christian faith to have to answer and better understand the answer to this question. How come I pay the consequence for what Adam did? So we'll address that. Number three, we've really already addressed this one. Is it accurate to say that because man sins, he is not good and will not choose Christ? Number four, is it possible to be elected by God and still not come to faith in Christ? And number five, if God's choice is not based on his foresight of man's choice, does this not mean that God destines some people to hell? So, you know, I really believe this. So these questions that I'm putting all this teaching in question format because I I think it raises a a good number of things to hold up before us and say, if I can't answer these questions, how am I going to understand these things in Scripture that we're talking about? And so we're actually teaching Scripture through the answer of the questions. So we'll be getting to that. I encourage you to listen to the podcast for anything that uh, you've missed in order to catch up. Uh, now, as every week, I'm going to close the same way I've closed week after week. And that's addressing the question, why are we teaching this? And you know, if you've been here, the answer is not so we can persuade you to a theological persuasion that we hold. It makes us feel good to have people, in, you know, believing what we believe. That's not it. We're doing it because we know the truth sets us free. And we want our people here at this church to know freedom so they can honor Christ all the stronger. It gets down, though, to how you live every day. And this issue of fear is something that every one of us are living with every day. We're fearing the diagnosis potential tomorrow from the doctor. We're fearing what our children are about to do and look like where they're going in life. We fear, and we fear, and we fear. Everything is just, we have no clue how much fear grips our hearts every day. And I'm going to introduce you to a little devotional book that you will thank me for doing this if you ever get it. Now, I'm going to beg you, don't go to our bookstore today to get it. <laughs> because I have a rule that I'm supposed to let them know weeks in advance before, <laughs> and I didn't think about this till just a couple of days ago. What well, I was reading through a little book, it's a devotional book, that I use Virtually every morning. If I miss, I catch up the next day. It's called New Morning Mercies by Paul Tripp. If I've given that book to 10 people, I will assure you 10 people have come back to me and say, that's one of the most important things I've ever, I've ever found in my life. I encourage you to read it. You want to understand God's grace and God's, oh, you're, it's just a one little pager. You know why I don't like devotionals? I don't like devotional books because they take you away from the raw Bible. It takes you away from the Word of God where you actually are, are, are reading what God says, not just what man says. And at the very end, he leaves you with the text that you need, to, you need to read in light of what he said. But I'll tell you what, you add that to your devotional time. It's a one-page read. It is so brief. But I came across one on June 28th of this last month. And I'm going to put up a little statement of what he says at the end, but I want to I prepare you for what he says. Here's how he begins. I'm skipping a little bit, but he says, there are many things I wish were true about me. I wish I could say I was never afraid, but I can't. I wish I could say I never worry, And that worry never interrupts my sleep. But I can't. I wish I could say I never wonder what God is doing. But I can't. I wish I could say I never give way to envy. But I can't. I wish I could say I'm always aware that God is near. But I can't. I wish I could say that I never wonder if only blank. But I can't. I wish I could say I never dread what's around the corner. But I can't. I wish I could say... I always have peace in my heart, but I just can't. I wish I could say that all that I do is done out of faith and not fear, but I can't. You see, I've come to be very aware that although I know the Bible and its doctrine well, the battle between fear and faith still goes on in my heart. Here's what this means at street level. It's important to understand why fear still lives in the life of a believer, in the hallways, kitchens, bedrooms, family rooms, work rooms, the vans of everyday life. So why the continued struggle? Would you like to know the answer? Here's what he says. Fear lives and rules in the heart of a believer who has forgotten one, God's sovereignty, number two, God's grace. You hear that? Man, he has hit the nail on the head here. This is what we forget. God's sovereignty and God's grace. You know we're talking about God's sovereignty. I don't know if you realize, but what we're talking about is the very foundations of what's called the doctrines of grace. You want to understand grace? Don't just hear, oh, God loves me. He forgave me. He did. That's God's grace. No, his grace is much deeper than that statement. If left to myself, I should be afraid. There are many trials, temptations, dangers, and enemies in this fallen world that are bigger and more powerful than me. I have to deal with many things that are outside my control. But the message of the gospel is that I haven't been left to myself, that Emmanuel is is with me in sovereign authority and powerful grace. He closes saying, He rules with perfect wisdom over all the circumstances and locations that would make me afraid. When he says he rules, that's sovereignty. In grace, he blesses me with what I need to face, what he has decided to put on my plate. I am never in anything, anywhere, at any time by myself. I never arrive on the scene first. I never step into a situation that exists outside his control. I never move beyond the reach of his authority. That's his sovereign, sovereignty, everything. He's, he's acknowledging God's sovereign over everything. He's never surprised by what I end up or by what I'm facing. He never leaves me to the limited resources of my own wisdom, strength, and righteousness. He never grows weary with protecting and providing for me. He will never abandon me out of frustration. I do not need to be afraid. When you forget God's sovereignty and His grace, you give room in your heart for fear to do nasty, debilitating work. Hold on before you flip it. You give room in your heart. How? If you forget God's sovereignty and God's grace. Next. Pray right now for grace to remember. Your sovereign Savior loves to hear and to answer. Folks, you want to know why we teach this? Well, why don't you just teach us about fear and how you deal with fear? That's what I'm teaching you. That's what this is. This is learning how you deal with fear. It's embracing the very depth of his truth. And when now, next, we begin to understand the fall, and then we go in and we say, oh, this is what for loving means. For knowing is loving. Oh my goodness. And this is what predestination means. He did what? Oh no. He did that. He did that for me? And that's what that means? Yeah, and by the way, he, he called you. you. You mean he called me? I didn't call. No, he called you. He called you. Now you understand how he could justify you. Now you understand why he will glorify you. You are so precious to God. This is what God did for you. And it just does something to you and you go, oh my God, am I loved. God, how you love me. That's why I keep saying to see the best glimpse in one picture, you go to the cross of Calvary and you see that love. But now we're going behind that cross and we're seeing everything that took place to have him on that cross and that's when people like you and me begin to say why should I fear if that's my God I'm still gonna fear but it's only because I slip away from really embracing the depth of his sovereignty and the depth of his grace put those two together you and I'll be okay in the worst of the storms let's pray together father in heaven we would pray that we would be a people that would embrace your sovereignty and your grace in its very depth. And that as a result of that, that we're going to actually be able to deal with fears in a new way. That new truth would come to mind as we think of those things coming around the corner as Tripp says. That will say, I don't know what it is, but you know. And I'm going to trust you. You're sovereign. Your grace is always there. Father, would you Enable us to embrace that in a new and fresh way, even with the problems that we're dealing with right now as we sit here. So We thank you and we pray this in the great name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia.